The Bible is God's word. Psalm 119, 160 says, All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. There is no laws or commands of God that are outdated today, as some people think. They are all true. They were true when God spoke them, and they're true today. So let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. What a precious treasure the Bible is to us because every word in it is true. And it's not going to change tomorrow. It's going to be as true tomorrow as it is today as it was yesterday. And we pray, God, that we would honor your word in our lives and in our church, that we would live by your word and so live lives that are successful and prosperous in your purposes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, today the message is entitled, Jesus, Your Leader. We're going to be talking about who Jesus is and why we need to follow him as our leader. Now, the question, who is Jesus, is one of the most important questions a person might ask uh, in the world. How that question is answered separates Christianity from every other religion. Who is Jesus? True Christianity has an answer. Every other religion has a different answer. All religions are not the same. How the question, Jesus, who is Jesus, is answered separates true Christian churches from what I would call cult Christian churches. Churches that claim to be Christian but are not. They give a different answer to that question, who is Jesus? We're going to be talking about that some today. And when an individual person answers the question, who is Jesus for me? It determines whether you're truly saved or not. Because a believer will answer that question the way the Bible describes it. Let's look at Romans 10.9 as our first verse. Now the verses are written out in a white page in the middle of your bulletin like this. You might want to pull it out. It has the outline and the verses. On the back side are study questions uh, that are gone over in our life groups and you can use them in your personal study as well. Roman 10, 9, Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what will happen? You will be saved. And so the heart of salvation is acknowledging and confessing Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that he is truly alive today. And so my message titled Jesus is Leader or Jesus your Leader is just another way of saying Jesus your Lord. Uh, sometimes we, we don't talk so much about following a Lord today anymore, do we? They're not lords and ladies anymore. They're not kings and queens in our country. Uh, there's leaders. And so... That's why I'm saying Jesus, your leader. But a Lord is a leader. And Jesus is an absolute leader. He's the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And what does our absolute leader, what does our Lord of Lords, what does our King of Kings say to us? Well, John 14, 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And so, what does a believer do? He loves Jesus. I love Jesus. If you're a believer today, can you say that with me? I love Jesus. Now, we shouldn't be ashamed of that. 
We love Jesus. And if we love him, what does he say? If we love him, we're going to obey him. We're going to obey everything that he says. And so if Jesus is not a person's Lord, if Jesus is not a person's leader, then that person by definition is not a follower of Jesus. You can't be a follower of Jesus if you're not following him. Nor are they a believer in him. Now unfortunately this is a very clear teaching in the Bible but it's not taught in many places and the end result is that millions of people think they are Christians, that they are believers, but they are not. Because Jesus isn't their Lord. Jesus is not their leader. So let's look a little more closely at how every Sunday I present an opportunity for people to be saved. Every Sunday we give an invitation with the very basics of salvation. We want to look at that to understand the importance of Jesus as leader and Lord. I give the invitation in three steps. Um, just for simplicity. First of all, A, admit that you've sinned. It can't be saved from something that you're, you don't admit you're in need of being saved from. If somebody thinks they're perfect, how can they be saved? But this one uh, is not a problem for most people. Most people know they sinned. They know they sinned yesterday, let alone the day before and the week before. And so most people can admit that, yes, they've sinned just as the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Second step is to believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive them. Now, here again, many people get this right. Everybody wants to be forgiven. Many people want to go to heaven. In fact, I think, what is it, 99.5% of the people uh, think they're going to heaven. So everybody wants to go to heaven. They can believe that Jesus died to forgive them. Not everybody, but many people believe Jesus died to forgive me. Please forgive me. I know I've sinned. I want to go to heaven. But the problem is that many people stop right there. They stop right there and they think, hey, I, I prayed that prayer. My sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. I'm saved. And what is taught is that Jesus can be your Savior without him being your Lord. I'm saved and you know, I can pretty much do what I want because everything I do is going to be forgiven and I'm going to go to heaven in the end, so why does it matter how I live? I'm going to heaven. But that teaching is not true. That teaching is you don't have to obey Jesus because anything you do, that's disobedience is forgiven. But in order to be saved, we've already gone through what Jesus said. We've gone through what Paul wrote. Jesus must be Lord of your life. And that's why we have the third step which is committing your life to following Jesus as your Lord. Confessing that Jesus is my Lord. Now this is not an optional step to becoming a Christian. It's not an advanced step. This is widely taught. This is an advanced step. You move from Jesus being your Savior to Jesus being your Lord. That's an advanced step in Christianity. It's optional. You know, if you really aren't that committed, then you don't have to take that step. You'll just kind of get in by the skin of your teeth and you kind of live this life any way you want. But my Bible says if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, would we confess something that was not true? Would that have any meaning? We don't have to time to go into all the teaching of Jesus. But he said, many will say, Lord, Lord, and not do my will. And he clearly says they don't end up in heaven. 
Because just because we say something, it has to reflect what is true in our lives. If we say Jesus is Lord, he must be our Lord, he must be our leader in every area of our lives. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Conversely, if someone doesn't obey Jesus' teaching, he really doesn't love him. And so today we're going to continue our studies in Colossians. We're going to look at the incredible lordship of Jesus. We're going to begin as, as the book does in chapter 1 with Jesus' lordship over all of creation, then Jesus' lordship over salvation, and finally over our individual lives. A very important topic. Jesus is lord of creation. Now last Sunday we began the book of Colossians. We saw how Paul prayed a powerful apostolic prayer. A prayer of thanksgiving and asking God for the believers at this church to grow. And now he turns to this topic of the supremacy of Jesus Christ over everything. He begins with Jesus' cosmic lordship. First of all, he says that Jesus is God. Verse 15 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The Bible teaches us that God is spirit. We can't see him with our physical eyes. He is invisible. But Jesus is the image, the exact representation of the invisible God. And when Jesus was here in physical form on this earth, people could see him. People could touch him. People could hear his words. And here the Bible tells us that Jesus was an exact representation of this invisible God. Now, we can't see him with our physical eyes anymore, but we can read accounts of him. And so, in our mind's eye, we can see what he was like. We can hear the words that he said from the pages of Scripture. And what God means here, what Paul, as he writes here, means is that when we look at and when we listen to Jesus, it's the same as looking at and listening to God. Because Jesus is God. He is the very image of God. He's not just a man, but he is God himself. Now the phrase firstborn over all creation means that Christ holds the preeminent position in the universe. He is the Lord over all creation. We're going to talk a little more about that phrase. So it's caused some problems, but that's what it means. And so Jesus is God, and as God, he created everything. Many people don't realize this. It says, but by him, by Jesus, all things were created. You might want to start circling the word all. How many times do we see the word all in these phrases? All things were created. Nothing is accepted. Things in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And so Jesus didn't come into existence just when he was born of Mary in the flesh as some teach. Jesus has always existed as God. He is eternal and he created everything. He was there in the beginning. In Genesis 1 verse 1, Jesus was there creating. He created the entire physical universe, everything that we can see with our eyes or with our telescopes, Jesus created. He also created the entire spiritual universe. There's a universe we can't see with our eyes. A universe of spiritual beings, of spiritual places. 
spiritual powers and rulers in heaven. Angels. All kinds of orders of angels. And of course, fallen angels. They once existed with God in heaven, but now they're fallen and they serve Satan and Satan himself was created by God. But he rebelled against God. All these things were created by Jesus and they were created for him. For his benefit, for his pleasure. In all of these things, Jesus sustains. He sustains everything. It says in verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus existed as God's son before anything was created and now he holds everything together. So his work is not finished. You see, the creation has to be held together. It doesn't just operate. Jesus holds the universe together. He keeps the, the galaxies in place. He keeps the planets spinning around the sun and around the stars. Within each atom, there's a strong nuclear force that holds all of its components together. And scientists are working, working, trying to figure out how these things don't fly apart. Because at the center of every atom is a bunch of protons which should repel each other. But they're all held together by some extremely powerful force. Jesus and holds them together. All the, quote, laws of the universe are Jesus holding everything together. They don't just happen of and by themselves. The law of gravity, the law of electromagnetism. There's a weak nuclear force. There are four fundamental forces, but let's not get into physics this morning. Jesus holds everything together. He's the Lord of creation. Now, how does it affect us? Well, first of all, we can praise God for Jesus, can we not? He's incredible. He was there before anything was. He was there at creation. He's holding everything together right now. And if Jesus holds everything together... He can hold your life together. He can hold my life together. When things seem to be spinning out of control and we don't understand, He can hold us together. You ever felt like your whole life was coming apart? Was spinning out of control? Well, we might not be in control, but He is. He is in control. No need to worry. That's why Jesus says, don't worry. I'm in control. All you have to do is follow me as your leader. That's it. And I'm going to hold everything else together. Jesus created and sustains all because he is God. Now religions that deny the deity of Jesus, they're misled. They cannot lead people to salvation. Implicit in this statement, Jesus is Lord, is that the understanding that Jesus is God. For all this to make sense, Jesus has to be God. In the 4th century, this phrase in verse 15 that Jesus is the firstborn of creation was first off misinterpreted. It was called the Arian heresy. It taught that Jesus was a created being because he was firstborn, so he must have been born. They take that to mean. That's contrary to the whole teaching of the rest of Scripture. It's a figurative term. Uh, used in this place. It means a privileged or exalted one, not that Jesus was a created being 
by God. Now this teaching from the 4th century Arian heresy continues to our day. It's, it's rampant in St. Louis. The main uh, people who promote the teaching is the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons. Okay, they have other religious texts that teach that Jesus was the first created spirit. He's the spirit brother of Lucifer. And so, he's not divine in the sense that the Bible teaches. He's not God. He's a created spirit being. And why is this important? It's important so that we, first of all, understand who Jesus is, that he's God. We understand that he's Lord of all. And when we find someone that doesn't believe this, we can point out from God's word who Jesus really is. Now, we haven't gone into all the scriptures here that prove that Jesus is God, the claims he made himself, the claims that other parts of scripture have, but it is vitally important that Jesus is God, people to understand that in order to be saved. And so we need to be able to answer questions from others who do not believe what the Bible teaches. So not only is Jesus Lord of creation, Jesus is Lord of salvation. The teaching here in Colossians now moves from this cosmic Jesus who's over everything we could possibly imagine down to his role in salvation. And so Jesus leads the church. Verse 18 says, and he, speaking of Jesus, is head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So one image of the church that's used in Scripture is that of the human body. And in this analogy, Jesus is like the head of the body. I have a head here, and it controls the rest of my body. The head tells the arm to move up and down, tells the lips to move. I guess that's what's going on, and, you know, it happens. In the same way, Jesus is to be the one that directs the church, and we are members of his body. We all should respond to the head. We should all do what he tells us to do because he's the Lord. He is the command center. He's the brain. And we need to follow the orders of the brain. If one part of our body doesn't follow the orders of the head, you know, then uh, some movies that had things like that, but uh, things get in trouble. The body must follow the orders of the head. Jesus directs the church. The church consists of all true believers. He's the beginning of our salvation. He is the first one who was raised from the dead, never to die again. You know, some other people were raised from the dead, but they ended up dying. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he died eventually of old age or something. Jesus is the only one who's been raised from the dead, never to die again. But he is the firstborn of the first fruits. Because all of us who are believers will one day be raised from the dead just as Jesus was to live forever with God. And so Jesus is the supreme leader of the church. Church leaders, other church leaders follow his direction and the people under them follow their direction as we all call Jesus as Lord. Jesus is fully God. Verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all, there's that word all again, his fullness dwell in him. This is the sixth time in this passage that the word all is used. And here God's word tells us that all of God's fullness dwells in Jesus. Not just part of it, not just a subset of it, but everything. Jesus is not a limited representation of God. Jesus is fully God. He's one with God. It's very important to understand that. 
And as such, Jesus offers salvation to everyone, to all. It says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so sin had created a barrier, creates a barrier between man and God. It began in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned. There was a barrier between them and God. They were cast out of the Garden of Eden, cast out of paradise. And a curse came. God pronounced a curse. A curse on the man, a curse on the woman, a curse on the earth itself, a curse on creation itself. Creation is under a curse because of sin. Why do you think there's all strange things happen? You know, why are there earthquakes? Why are there tornadoes? Do you think there were tornadoes in the Garden of Eden? No. <laughs> you think there were earthquakes in the Garden of Eden? No. That's part of... Oh, good, one person agrees with me. <clears throat> Hurricanes, none of these things. It's creation run amok. It's because of the curse. It's because of sin. And one day, Jesus is going to reconcile everything, including this planet. In fact, one day there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. No tornadoes, no earthquakes, none of that, no mosquitoes. Praise God, right? They're all going to be gone. Or maybe mosquitoes will just, I don't know, fly around with heavenly music and won't bite anybody. We don't know, but it's going to be good. It's going to be better than it is now. And so Jesus is going to reconcile all things to himself, including creation. Now we're going to talk about in a minute how he reconciles each of us to himself. But Jesus is Lord of creation. Now, again... If anything can be taken in a wrong way, it, generally somebody will find a way to do it. This phrase, reconcile to himself all things, has erroneously been taken to mean that everyone is going to be saved. And this teaching is getting more and more popular today. It's often called the heresy of universalism. And one of the common teachings today is that Hell is not eternal. And when you go to hell, you'll have a chance to repent. Because it's going to be an awful place. And you're going to see the error of your ways the minute you get to hell. And Jesus loves you so much, he's going to give you a second chance in hell. And eventually, of course, everybody's going to say, I don't like this place. Jesus, please forgive me. I want to go to heaven. And so ultimately, God is going to send everyone to heaven. Another related teaching is that, even more popular, is that most people aren't quite good enough to go to heaven. And so they go to a place called purgatory. Not mentioned in the Bible. And in purgatory, your sins are purged out, they're burned away, until you're good enough to go to heaven. Now that's my interpretation of it. Maybe I haven't said it exactly right. But that isn't taught in the Bible either. The Bible teaches it's appointed upon men once to die and then the judgment. Once to die and then you're judged and there's only two destinations, heaven or hell. Is Jesus your Lord? You're written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You go to heaven. Jesus is not your Lord. Uh, you go to hell, the other place. Jesus is Lord of salvation. He freely offers salvation to everyone. 
but we must receive that salvation by believing in Jesus and confessing that he is Lord of our lives. And when we do, we'll see in a minute, we are reconciled to God, we have peace with God, and that peace is both in this life and the life to come. We have eternal life. When we become believers, when Jesus is our Lord, we begin to experience eternal life in this life, and that life continues on into eternity. And so Jesus is Lord of creation, he's Lord of salvation, and he is your Lord. Now here again, I'm speaking to people who are believers. If you're not a believer here this morning, then God wants you to become a believer. God wants Jesus to be your Lord. You were once Jesus' enemy. If you're a believer here this morning, you were once Jesus' enemy. If you're not a believer, then to be honest, you're still Jesus' enemy. It says in verse 21, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Why were we enemies of God? Because we sinned. We rebelled against him. We did things our own way. We didn't follow Jesus as Lord. We were our own lords. That's the essence of sin. I do what I want to do. It's not what a believer does. No one is excluded. No one is born into a relationship with God. Now, people come up and tell me, I've always been saved. I've always believed. Well, you know, it might be you don't remember when you made that commitment to Jesus Christ. Or perhaps you've never made the commitment, you just assume you have. But no one is born into a relationship with God. We're all born prone to sin. We're all sinners. We need God to forgive us. The good news, the gospel, is that Jesus offers peace to each person who was God's enemy or who is God's enemy. It says, now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusations. And so Paul here is writing to believers. He's saying that you have been reconciled to God through Jesus' death. Jesus' death has made possible the forgiveness of sins. He's made possible the transfer of God's holiness to sinful human beings. Sometimes it's called the great exchange. Jesus died on the cross. All of our sins, all of the yucky things that we've done went on Jesus. And all Jesus' righteousness and holiness is imputed to us. That's a pretty good bargain, isn't it? And we become reconciled to God, holy in His sight, without blemish, free from accusation, no longer an enemy of God. Now, how do we become a believer here? Well, the final verse in the passage teaches, continued faith saves you. Verse 23. Let's read a little part of 22 so we have the whole context. He has reconciled you by Christ to present you holy in His sight, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. 
Let's underline the phrase, if you continue in your faith. That means that salvation begins with faith. And it must continue with faith. Salvation is not just a one-time event. It's a decision to enter into a life of faith. To enter into a state of believing. And that continues or should continue until we meet God. If you continue, it's conditional here. If you continue in your faith, you're going to continue in this relationship with God. Believers are to live lives that are firmly established in the ways of God. They're not to be distracted to the right or to the left. They're to be firm, planted in God's ways. And that happens as Jesus is our Lord, as Jesus is our leader. Now it reminds me of the picture in Psalm chapter 21. I mean, no, Psalm, actually there's a different picture there, but Psalm 1. Of a tree planted by a stream. It's a picture of a believer. And the roots of that tree go down deep into the ground beside the stream. And they draw their water from this stream, this, this river of life. And you know when a tree has its roots deeply planted into a soil. When the wind blows, that, that tree does not, does not fall over. Because it's strong, it's firm, it's established. The faith of a believer is anchored in the bedrock of Jesus Christ. If the roots of that tree wrap around a bedrock, if they wrap around a huge stone in the ground, it's going to be even stronger. Now this is not a picture of a special believer. This is not a picture of an or, uh, extraordinary believer. It's a normal believer. It's a believer for whom Jesus is Lord. And there are no other kinds of believers. Some say, well, Jesus is my Savior but he's not my Lord yet. I haven't quite come to that because there's a lot of things I want to do. I'm not sure he would approve. And so I want to go to heaven, but I really don't want to obey everything God's word tells me to do. Well, I would say that if Jesus is not Lord of all, then Jesus is not Lord at all. Let me say that again. If Jesus is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. And so we need to make sure that Jesus is our Lord and make sure that Jesus is Lord of everyone we know. Jesus is Lord of creation. He's Lord of salvation. And he wants to be or is the Lord of every believer. And the more we realize that, the more we live in that truth, it takes the worry out of life. All a believer needs to do in life is to obey the commands of his leader. Yes, sir, I will obey everything you say. We get in problems when we know what we should do and we don't do it. The Bible calls that sin. And what do we do when we sin and we don't follow our leader's command? We say, I'm sorry, I repent. I turn away from that sin and I want to get back on track with you. And so our leader, Jesus Christ, will lead us to the very best life that we can possibly have. Because he knows the end from the beginning. He holds everything together. He knows the future. He knows our past. He knows our present. And so we'll end as we began. In order to commit or recommit your life to Jesus Christ, 
Well, three things. Now let's not forget C. We talked about C this morning. A, admit that you've sinned. Sin is simply doing what you want to do. Obeying your own desires rather than God's. B, you believe that Jesus died on the cross. He took our sins upon himself that we might be forgiven. And believe that Jesus did that. And finally, C, we've been talking about this morning, commit your life to following Jesus as Lord. To doing everything he says. And so I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I'd ask you to bow your heads right now. Father, we come before you this morning. And we admit that we've done wrong things, God, that we've sinned. We've not followed you as Lord of our lives. B, we believe, God, that Jesus died on the cross, that our sins might be forgiven. We believe in him. We ask for his forgiveness. We turn from our sin and we commit ourselves to following Jesus as Lord. To following Jesus as our leader. Today, tomorrow, for the rest of our lives and right on into eternity. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. And those of us who have been believers for a while, we recommit our lives to your Lordship. This morning, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.